Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. and Merry Christmas. This is Pastor Vincent Xavier. Good to be with you today. I'm pretty sure it's nine o'clock Central Standard Time right now. We're right on the border of Arizona and California. And uh, one of my clocks says it's 802. The other one says it's 702. So we must be right there. But I'm trusting we're right on time. Again, Merry Christmas. God bless you. You know the reason for the season is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the day that he gave him is the day that we're celebrating today. While nobody knows the day or the hour of his birth, quite frankly, it's very difficult to pin down. However, December 25th has been a day for almost 1,700 years that Christians around the world have celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. And again, every light we see, every song we hear, every beautiful Word that comes forth concerning Merry Christmas. What a tender, warm blessing to all of creation that God gave peace to this earth. It's a peace that has been beyond the grasp of man's ability to achieve in his own strength, but is a peace that is given and received by faith. A peace that individuals can have, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And so today we talk about that great peace and that joy to the world. The Lord has come. Peace and joy is what God gave to mankind. You can't ask for anything more, and you can't receive anything less. I mean, a world without peace, a world without joy, a life without peace, a life without joy, what's the point? There really is no point. 
And so my prayer to God for you today who are listening or will be listening to this broadcast is that you have received the joy of the Lord and the peace of God through the birth of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and his gift to the world. There's no one like Jesus. There's not a counterpart. There's nothing that is equal to him. He is the unprecedented, unparalleled, the uncontended Lord of glory. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. There will never be another Savior. There will never be a world ruler. There's only one. There's only been one, and his name is Jesus. His name is Yeshua. We know him from different names from all over the world. Different cultures know him. Different color skin know him. People from everywhere know him. Why is it that the whole world knows him oh so well? To the ends of the earth, to the islands of the sea, to the highest mountains, to the lowest deserts, everybody knows him, and all will bow their knee ultimately, and all will give glory to God for his son, Jesus Christ. But again, why did God send his son to this earth to die for mankind? Because God loved his creation. God sent his son into this world to save and to seek out that which was lost. That was Adam. The whole human race was lost in the darkness, in the confusion of their own sin. And God so loved the world that in the process of time and at the right time, the dispensation of the fullness of time, he sent his son, made of a woman, made under the law, and gave to this earth the salvation to the Jew first to to accomplish the fulfilling of the law that they could not keep, to pay the price and the penalty for the law that they had broken, and then to usher in a brand new covenant of grace and truth and mercy and light and life like we've never known before. And to the Jew who received him, the salvation was accomplished. To the Gentile that received him, the same salvation. And so the gospel that is preached in the earth today is the gospel of grace, the gospel of God's goodwill, that God so gave to this world something that would afford it the joy and the peace that could only come from God. And what was God really saying when you think about it? God was saying, we have a conflict between us. The man that I created and myself, we have a conflict, and I'm coming to bring peace to that conflict. I have no desire to be in conflict with my creation. And so God brought a peace offering. God did. Man didn't offer a peace offering. God offered a peace offering. And God gave a peace offering to the whole world in his son. And through that peace offering, you and I are allowed to come back to him in an act of reconciliation. Imagine that, that God brought forth a bridge. He created a bridge for man to come back to him. And that's what this is all about. And it's to every man, to the Jew, to the Gentile, to the whole of Adam's race. God has sent forth a shepherd to seek out the lost you were lost. I was lost. The whole world is lost. And through the light of truth, Christ has come into our hearts. And we have begun the journey back home. And hasn't it been an incredible journey? God never promised an easy journey. He never said the roads would be smooth all the time. 
but he did say that through every step that he would be with us, that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And so today, while Christians around the world are celebrating this incredible time of salvation and understanding and focusing on the Savior of the world, there are so many people in the world that are still lost in the darkness. And what an opportunity for God's people to let their light so shine before men that we have a cheer, not a tradition. We have a cheerful attitude because we're celebrating the birth. We're having a birthday today, and we're the guests, and we have chosen to celebrate our Messiah. He didn't force us to. Nobody's telling us we have to, but why wouldn't we want to? Why wouldn't we want to celebrate the birth of the God who loved us so much, who gave so much for us? Why wouldn't we want to say to him, I'm so glad you were born. I'm so glad you were born to die so that I might live, that you would take my sins upon your body, that you would pay my price. And today the Lord reaches out to creation. And you know what he's saying to every person on this planet? If they would just open their eyes and get a clue to what this is about, it's not Christian tradition. It's not American tradition. It is a celebration where through the birth of Christ, God is saying, come home. Don't be afraid to come home. My arms are wide open still. And I'm calling all men everywhere to turn from the darkness, turn from your wicked ways, and come home. I mean, the encouragement, the message to return back to Creator God is an awesome message. But you know, so many people are afraid that they've gone too far. They feel guilty. They feel ashamed. They feel condemned. They don't think that God could ever afford them his grace. And yet we have learned from all over the world, from every place on the earth, people who have committed the most heinous acts and crimes have been forgiven and have received mercy and grace for the things they have done. God knows all about it. God knows what every man has done. He's an amazing God when you step back and think about it. He's the God that knows every hair on your head, if you still have hair on your head. And even if you don't, he knows everything else about you. He knows every thought that goes through your mind. He knows every emotion of your heart. And not only you, but the billions of people that are here presently, he knows the hairs of everybody's head. He knows the thoughts of everybody's heart. And not only that, he knows those who have been here in the last 6,000 years. And he'll know every person that comes into the earth. He knows you say, how could he know? Because he's God. How could he know you? How could he know me? Because he's God. This is the God we serve. He knows where you've been. But here's what he said. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He came to save sinners. He came to save us. And so regardless of what sin we have committed, regardless of what crime we have committed. God so loved the world. Adam went into a tailspin. There's no other way to say it. I mean, he flipped out. He just rightly flipped out. Adam sinned against God, and everything in creation went into turmoil, went into commotion. And that turmoil, that commotion, that confusion, that fear, that darkness, 
that demonic activity in the earth continues to this very day, but it doesn't necessitate continuing on in the life of those who believe. Those who believe have come out of the confusion, have come out of the darkness, came out of the fear. They've returned home and experienced the love of their God who willingly and chose to forgive them. That's amazing. Most people are having a hard time forgiving themselves for what they've done. And yet God has demonstrated his love that while we were sinners, he died for us. Think about that. He died for you and me while we were sinners. I don't know what your sins have been. I know what my own were. And I thank God that the day I confessed my sins and through my journey with Jesus, confessed my sins continually, I know I'm washed. I know I'm cleansed. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm healed. I know that God has restored and done an amazing work in my life as he has yours. He doesn't want me to look back and remember my sins and cringe of the things I used to do. He doesn't want you to look back. He doesn't want you to keep thinking over and over and over what your past sins were so that you could have regret and a sense of shame and disgrace or whatever. No, he's calling you forward. He's not even wanting to look back. He doesn't want to know or remember. He's washed away. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and took away your sin. So don't look back. Don't be afraid to return home. And for those of you that have already returned home, those of you who have already taken the necessary step of returning home to the Messiah, man, embrace him like you've never embraced him before. Love on him like you've never loved on him before. And make sure that there's no separation between you and him. It's not necessary. There's no need for you to feel inferior. There's no need for you to feel unaccepted. There's no need for you to feel you can't come back to God. Forget all that. That's not the truth. The only one that wants you to look back is the devil. The only one who wants you to remember what you did is the devil. The only one that wants you to feel guilty, ashamed, condemned, and continue on in the reproach of the past is the devil. And you have to make a decision. Are you going to follow the devil, believe the devil, obey the devil, or are you going to follow Jesus, obey Jesus, and allow Jesus to bring you into a new life? Well, that's the good news. There is no looking back because, quite frankly, He's buried our sins in the depths of the seas. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sins from us. There's no sin for you to go looking for. There's no need for you to wander around with condemnation and burying your head and feeling unaccepted or rejected or you don't fit in somehow. Listen, we all have been accepted through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have all been invited into the Father's house. We have returned out of the kingdom of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We are now the children of light. Let today remind you. Let today become a day that you'll never forget. This is the day we are celebrating, the day that God sent his son, and quite frankly, the day that the heavens opened and the angels began to sing all over the earth. The song of heaven was sung, and the shepherds heard that song. The angels were proclaiming and declaring, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Who was sending that? 
God was sending that in the person of his son himself. God said these things. And you know, the Bible tells us that every time one person repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. So today, remember, the angels are singing all over the world for the salvation of one soul. All the angels rejoice. All of heaven rejoices. So you are a saved one. Do you think that the angels just said, okay, we rejoice for an hour over Joe's salvation, but all right, let's move on. No, God is still celebrating your salvation and he cannot wait for your arrival. Death to us is not an enemy anymore. Death means nothing to us. Death has no power over us. And if we are here alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord, which it appears is a very definite possibility that we may be the generation that will witness the high coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he has been rejoicing since the day. It doesn't say, well, all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person repents. And then when they do that at the altar, they stop rejoicing. No, the heavens are rejoicing, awaiting your arrival from the day you believe. And they are waiting for you. God is waiting for you for a face-to-face encounter. What he's doing here on earth is preparing us for that day of encounter. He's preparing you and I for the day we walk through the pearly gates into the kingdom of God to meet our Father face-to-face, to receive glorified bodies and meet Jesus Christ. I mean, who could possibly be ready for that? And yet that is exactly what's going on in the heavens. The heavens are constantly rejoicing. And if 2,000 years ago, one person would have accepted Jesus Christ, the heavens would have been rejoicing for 2,000 years if that one person were still living. In other words, the heavens don't need an excuse. They rejoice over one person. You are one person that the heavens are rejoicing over because you do have genuine salvation. And so you have a future. You have a hope. You have an eternal hope before you. So today should be the greatest day of your life to remember the day that the Savior of the world found you. He may have found you in drug addiction. He may have found you in a broken marriage. He may have found you in alcoholism or trouble or problems or in poverty or in sickness. I don't know how he found you. The fact remains, though, that he did find you. He found you because he sought you out. You weren't seeking for him. He sought you out. He went and looked for you, and he found you, and you accepted him and returned to him, and the heavens are rejoicing. You know, to me, that is spectacular. That is absolutely amazing. As far as I'm concerned, that is amazing. So, I'd love to know what time it is, the real time. I wonder what time it is in Arkansas. And I want to say good morning to uh, David Ellison and Kim Bowling in Colorado and Cindy and Jim Miller. God bless you. Cindy, what time is it in Arkansas right now? Could you please tell me? I don't know. It's, uh, maybe you could text me real quick with what time it is, because I've got two times here, 819 and, um, and then I've got 719. So I'm not really sure what time it is. Maybe I'm an hour early. Uh, as far as our, our new wine ministry is there. So 
If you're there, Cindy, let me know. It's 8.20. I'm early? Are you kidding me? 8.20? So I'm early. I could have slept another hour. Well, anyways, here we are, right? Here we are. Thank you for that. It's 8.20. That is so weird. See, my phone... My phone says 720. That's my beloved wife, Patricia Joy, by the way. But my phone says 720. And this says 820. And now I'm hearing it's 820. So what do you say to that? Mamma mia. That's all I can say. Kim Bowling, it's 722 for me. Well, wait a second. Oh, that's right. So it'd be mountain time. Darn it. But if it's 720 in California... 820, it's got to be 920, and unless it's 720, I don't know where I am. Anyways, I'm lost in time, but what a beautiful way to be lost, isn't it? All right, so I wonder why it's so quiet out there on Christmas Day. Hey, I've got some amazing things to share with you. Not only the beautiful birth of Jesus, I'm going to be talking about it all day. We're just three hours away right now from San Diego, uh, right outside Yuma, Arizona. And the sun is just beginning to, to show up here. The light is coming back on the earth again. And um, I'll figure out what time it is here in just a little bit. But I want to tell you something. Driving through uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico, if I can, I'll just replay this, by the way, at 9 o'clock. Um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, a lot of New Mexico, we were shocked, Patricia and I, at the Chinese influence. They had bridges named after Chinese people. And I have nothing against Chinese people. Don't get me wrong, okay? This isn't anti-Chinese on Christmas Day. But for communist China, who could care less about Christmas because they have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, we saw not only in China a major influence, but the building, even in Arizona, around Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona, we saw Chinese influence, big money being poured into these places, into these states. And it reminded me of what's going on in Georgia right now. Remember the leaders of Georgia, the local government of Georgia, that they love doing business with China? Now think about this. We heard it, but now I just saw it with Patricia in New Mexico, Arizona, and obviously this is in other states, that this, the independent states have been doing big business with China, and China has poured in billions of dollars into these independent states, right? Like into Georgia, now into these other places. So China gives their money. The states receive all that money. They give China a foothold. China enters in. This is everywhere. So what happens is the globalist agenda or what we call the progressive left or the democratic states today that are doing big business with China, like Joe Biden and his son do, right? All this business with China. And so China begins to get an influence and gains an influence in those states because the people are doing business with China. And China is giving them the money, but they're getting political power and influence in those states. So if from a globalist point of view, when you're a globalist, Donald Trump 
again, is in the way because Donald Trump doesn't want to do business with China because they put a disease on the whole world, the coronavirus or whatever, the Chinese virus, um, the, the tariffs and all the little China war that's going on politically and financially, all these different things. But the problem is that the states in America that are doing business with China that are against Donald Trump, that is why the United States could never be strong enough in a divided nation to withstand. I mean, I've heard people say, listen, we beat Nazi Germany. Uh, we beat this enemy. We beat that enemy. We beat every enemy. We, we beat every enemy. But as a divided nation fighting against the world empire, the global empire, might not be so easy to do that, especially with the states wanting to do business and continue to do business with China. So this is a very grave thing as we were looking at it and an understanding, an epiphany came to my mind about these things, that the globalist agenda is what Joe Biden wants to bring back and to accelerate business with China again. And that is a very dangerous thing for a sovereign, independent United States of America, the republic. That is a very dangerous thing for Christians to allow a, uh, a regime of power that could turn any moment. Now, right now, the states may be saying, well, we're just making big money with China. We're just doing big business with China, and we're giving them influence, and we're giving them political power, but this is great for us. We're making tons of money. In a second, they could turn on dime. Everything could go in another direction. They could bring influence and things that could become very difficult. And we know that that's going to happen. We know that in the great tribulation of Revelation 13, that a global one world government is going to come to power and it's going to bring a persecution against Christians who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ or have the faith of Jesus Christ. And so the world is being set. We're in a big battle here, but we saw it face to face, which I thought was very interesting. So um, one of the things, again, I was wanting to do Number one is to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and to extol the day and to say to everybody, you know, nobody knows. But for 1,700 some odd years, this is the day that Christians have celebrated Christmas. Now, again, China, they could care less about your Christian tradition or your Christmas celebration. But to us, it's not a tradition. To us, it's the celebration of the birth of the Messiah of the world that can save the Chinese also, the communist Chinese, which I'm sure many communist Chinese have been saved. Praise God. The church in uh, the underground church of China probably did an incredible job of bringing the gospel. And I'm confident that many communist Chinese have converted to Christianity, to, to Jesus Christ. I'm sure of Islam the same way. I believe that. But we do know that there will be those who resist and those who reject the knowledge of the truth and will form an alliance against Christ, an all-out war against God. There are people in our country, Americans, who are forming an alliance against God and against his son. The world rulers are forming an alliance against God and against his son on purpose because they're Luciferians. They are devil worshipers. They believe in Lucifer. Okay, so this is a simple reality. We want all men to rejoice and be saved. But the reality is, is that's not going to happen. 
The reality is, is that few will be saved. The reality is, is that the majority are not going to make it to the end. I mean, we're talking about incredible stuff here that Jesus taught, that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold, and they'll begin to betray one another because they're offended at one another, and they'll hate one another. And man, I've heard it so many times, and it's hard to fathom. That's why it's so important for you and for me to maintain our walk, our love walk. We have got to grow in the love of God. We, have, we must demonstrate more love. We must grow in more of the love of God, not our selfish, self-centered kind of love, not our feelings-oriented, emotional-oriented love. We have got to find the love of God, the agape, unconditional love for all creation, for God first and then for mankind. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to love the body of Christ, that phileo love, that Philadelphia, you know, that phileo body of Christ love, and that storge love, the family love, and obviously that eros love between a husband and a wife. We need all the love of God to accelerate and grow up inside of us. It's the most important thing because the brutal events that are coming on the earth have power to steal it. But today, if you haven't noticed, maybe maybe there's a little extra room in your heart for the love of God because today's Christmas. But man, it's going to pass and things are going to get tough in the very few short days ahead. Things maybe get more violent than we've ever dreamed. That's why today we have to take advantage of every opportunity to serve the Lord, to honor God, to grow closer to God. We must, because if we don't and we're hanging on by a thread, the winds that are coming are sure to snap that thread. We have to be firmly rooted and grounded in our love for God and our love for one another in the body of Christ and our love for all creation and our neighbor. We have to grow in love. We've got to deal with the angst. We've got to deal with every fiber of our fallen humanity. We've got to deal with the flesh nature, the carnal mind. If we don't allow the cross to crucify these areas of consternation within us, frustration, whatever it is, we're going to be set up for some very challenging times. And challenging times are coming whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not. They're coming. And they're already here for a lot of people. But we must be the overcomers that God created us to be. We must be those who genuinely have faith in God and walk in the Holy Spirit. Not because of our intelligence. We don't have any, for goodness sake. All we have is a will, a decision to allow the Holy Spirit to take over our lives. We can do that. We can simply surrender the reins and say, God, take over. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to love. I don't know how to do anything, but you do. I don't even have love myself. That's why the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Spirit doesn't pour in the love of God into our hearts, what do we have? We don't have anything. But now being born again, we should have some love that we can access, that we could tap into, that we could drill into. And bring up the love of God that's in our belly through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the love of God is in us. We have to believe that. And that Holy Spirit that's in our belly, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, the living water that flows out of our belly has to be the agape love of God. 
Because without love, nothing matters. Prophecy doesn't matter. Knowledge doesn't matter. Faith doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us without love, nothing matters. So the life force that flows out of our belly must be the agape love of God. And that is what's going to maintain us and cause us to endure unto the very end. And it certainly does appear that the very end is just beginning and a period of time is what we're going to have to endure. The end of time is right before us and we have to go through it. Now, Jesus was absolutely awesome in what he did. And we know that we get that. So what are some of the dangers? And this is really the Bible study I wanted to share with you today on Christmas Day, things that you need to look out for, things that I need to look out for, and we need to be aware of. First of all, I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We had a little Bible study before we left Arkansas, and I want to get into this scripture because, I, you know, the first few words of 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, wow, David is saying it's 10 degrees in southern Missouri. Sorry, Dave. It's about 60 here. It's going to be about in the high 60s as we go. I am so sorry it's 10 degrees, but you may love it. Hopefully there's a lot of white stuff out there. Snow, good, pure snow. Praise God. I hope so. If it's just cold, it's cold. Brr. 10 degrees? Are you kidding me? All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to these words the Apostle Paul penned. Now the Spirit... This is the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, the Spirit speaks expressly. That means most definitely. He's speaking loudly with emphasis. So the Spirit speaks loudly with emphasis expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. All right, there's a departing from the faith. That means one actually had faith, and this tells us that some are going to depart from the faith. Now, this is no different than the apostasy or the defection from truth, which there shall be a falling away, okay? So we have a departure, a defecting from the truth, an apostasy, same as the rest of the scriptures talk about. And here's what he says will happen in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. And now I'm going to give you a whole list of reasons why people will. And then we're going to understand why it's so imperative and important to embrace our faith, particularly today in the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Christ. All right, because our faith has to be built up in this. I mean, draw into it, tap into it, celebrate Christmas, celebrate the birth of Christ, move into it, embrace it, saturate yourself with the knowledge of this truth that there was a Savior born. Again, the day and the hour, no man knows, but God knows. And what a great day to celebrate. All right, now listen, here's the first thing that's going to cause people to depart from the faith. They're going to give heed to seducing spirits. There is no God. Obvious one, right? Um, all paths lead to God. Uh, seducing spirits. 
um, spirits, deception, lying, uh, misleading, misguiding, um, you know, whatever the seduction will be, there's going to be a lot of it, a lot of seducing that's going on, convincing people, put your cross down, you know, uh, relax. This whole Jesus thing is outdated, antiquated. It's old fashioned. Why don't you step into the new now kind of mentality? And why don't you get on with living and stop living under this old idea that some God in the sky. I mean, the seduction is huge. Why do you think the world's in the condition that it's in? Because that seducing spirit has already gone forth and has been seducing the hearts of men in their minds and their emotions and their soul. But yet I have to believe there's opportunity to still find that one little space in someone's heart to bring them out of the delusion and the darkness. You and I were seduced at one point. We used to think we were really good people when we were dead sinners walking in the flesh. I mean, my God, the seduction is incredible. But we have to be careful as believers because Paul's saying to the believer, you need to watch out because you're in the faith. But there are seducing spirits that could cause you to turn away from the faith or depart, leave, defect from your faith. You would think that's impossible, but it's not. Someone once said that the majority of today's atheists were once born again Christians. Can you imagine that? Today's majority of atheists were once born again Christians. I learned that in the movie, God is not dead. Remember the movie, God's not dead. It's, it was said there and they brought out a fact. So number two reason why believers will depart from the faith is because of doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. We know some obvious ones, and it's kind of unfortunate. You may say, well, up front, the doctrine of devils, i.e. the pre-tribulational rapture, you know, that doesn't cause anybody to depart from the faith up front. But, you know, behind the scenes, it does. Because you have millions of people today that are believing that they're not going to be here when the Antichrist comes. So they're not preparing to meet the Antichrist. They're not preparing to live in a world that you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. They've been seduced through a false doctrine to be at ease. Don't worry about it. You're not going to be here. Well, the backside of that doctrine is now that they wake up and they're still here and the mark of the beast is here and the Antichrist is here and persecution is here, that could cause someone to totally fall away. And the next doctrine of demons would be once saved, always saved, because the pastors of, of the churches that will exist during the tribulation, the apostate churches, all those pastors will be saying, you can't lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Go ahead and take that mark and feed your children and your family and pay your bills and get a house. You're not going to lose your salvation over a mark. Once saved, always saved. You believe in Jesus. Take the mark. But yet the Bible says that whoever takes the mark, will be damned in unspeakable torment and torture, the smoke of their torment going up forever and ever. I mean, my God, eternal damnation for anybody that takes the mark. And yet you could see how seducing spirits through doctrines of demons will work hand in hand to cause people to depart from their faith in Jesus Christ. And there are other doctrines of demons, believe me, tons of them. The New Age, uh, Buddhism, philosophies, 
I mean, there's tons of stuff that's going to be exalted, like really looking intelligent. Like, man, we've got the we've got the mojo vibe, you know, hmm, you know, whatever it is that the, that the devil's going to bring, it's going to be intellectually stimulating, and it's going to have such a feel of emotion and goodwill. But it's not Jesus. It's very seducing. And ask anybody that's been in the New Age at a depth how seductive it really is until you get into it and you get sucked in by the seduction. You get sucked into it, and before you know it, it's taking your soul. Anyways, there's a whole bunch of that going on, but let's go a little deeper. Not only that, he says, one of the things that will happen with these seducing doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Wow, what does that mean, to speak lies in hypocrisy? Is that, you know, the whole idea? You know, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, but I don't obey the gospel at all. I just don't listen to the word of God. Stuff like that. Having their conscience seared. Okay, so these seducing doctrines of devils are going to sear conscience of man. Whoever comes under the influence, the conscience will be seared with a hot iron. Now, some of the doctrines are going to be this. Forbidding to marry. Now, if your conscience gets seared with a hot iron, Okay, because you've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and you begin to speak lies and hypocrisy, right? You're having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I mean, it deadens it. Your conscience can't feel anything anymore. Right now, the glory of God for a Christian is that when we do something that's not right, our conscience feels it. We go, oh, my God, I, I can't live with that. Thank God for conscience. But the time is coming when men's consciences through these seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, that they won't be able to feel conviction or compunction anymore for their sin. Well, then some of the doctrines will be forbidding to marry. You know, there's coming a time for whatever reason, they're going to say no marrying, forbidding marriage, no reproduction, no reproducing. China wants people, husbands and wives, to have one child right now. What laws are coming that, no, you could fornicate all you want. You could have sexual intercourse all you want, but we're going to deaden your semen. We're going to deaden your womb. We're going to sterilize you to the degree you'll never continue to populate. No, 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 no. So they're going to forbid to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, different foods. So you won't, you know, you're going to come under a restrictive diet that is going to be New World Order ordained, okay? They're going to give you stuff to eat that you probably don't want to eat, uh, but that's going to be bid you to eat meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. So, you know, religious, there's people already in certain groups and sects that we don't eat meat, we don't eat meat, you know, we're better for that. We're, we're, you know, they have a sense of, air, of pride because we don't eat meat. Well, read Romans 14, whether you eat meat or not, doesn't make you any better or worse than anybody else. But this will be forbidden. And yet God, this word says, gave us food to be received with thanksgiving. Just thank God for whatever you have. If you don't eat meat, don't eat meat to the Lord. Don't force everybody else not to eat meat. If you do eat meat, eat meat to the Lord. Don't first force everybody else to eat it, right? Just give God thanks. So of them which believe and know the truth. So if you believe and know the truth, give thanks for food, give thanks for marriage. Why? Because the marriage bed, by the way, is purified. 
It's uncontaminated. Sexual intercourse is really good in the marriage covenant. Outside it, it's sin. That's what God calls it. Fornication, all of that is sinful. And I've heard Christians that actually tried to justify fornication with definitions. Listen, the only way that sexual intercourse is right before God is through marriage, period. That's why all this other stuff that's out there, such a satanic snare to get people involved in sensualities. And there's a way out, by the way. Now, he also goes on to say, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is received by the word of God and prayer. So he brings up this idea of legalism. My God, one of the strongest persuading seductions that are confronting the church today is legalism, trying to bring people back under the law of Moses. I mean, this is a doctrine that is being espoused by some very intellectual people, but does not line up with the word of God. Now they're bringing out all these videos about how wrong and how bad the Apostle Paul was, that the Apostle Paul wasn't there. So the doctrine of legalism, you know, get your head covering on and don't eat this and don't eat that. And, you know, beware of legalism. Now, you want to go ahead and keep the law of Moses? Go ahead. Give it a shot. Take the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go back, study Torah, and get under the law of Moses and keep every one. But remember, if you break one, you break them all. And if that's how you want to spend your life, trying to keep the law of Moses, go for it. I'd rather be led by the Holy Spirit, walk in the grace of God, fulfilling and keeping the commandments of God by loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. For in these two, I fulfill the whole law. So rather than studying the law, I could actually fulfill it by loving God and my neighbor as myself. By the power of the Holy Spirit and studying the new covenant and reading the new contract of the New Testament, absolutely powerful stuff. And it's all very clear about the law of Moses. It has been fulfilled. It has been done away, abolished, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just one way. Then you have the opposite of legalism keeping the law of Moses, now it's all greasy grace and sloppy agape. Now we're under grace. You can do anything you want. Well, that's not what the Bible says, and we've talked about that. So, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So we have to keep the brethren in remembrance of these things, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come in other words, where you put your emphasis, what is ever primary to you, if it's studying and working out in godliness, you know, practicing godliness, praying in the spirit, building up your spiritual muscles, praying in faith, allowing faith to grow, exercising love muscles, walking in the fruit of the spirit, practicing it, rehearsing it, working out like going to a gym. You got to work it out. Well, if it's primarily 
a workout in godliness, it's going to produce good fruit in this life and in the world to come. Now, if you forsake that and do a little bit with the word of God and you spend a lot of time in other stuff, whether at a gym trying to make your body look great or intellectually stimulating your brain and studying all the things of the world, all that stuff is going to show up empty. It has very little profit. There's some profit to it, but very little. Now, if you put things in perspective and you put God first in everything and you spend an hour reading the Bible rather than an hour watching TV or reading another book, if you put God first, the little time you put into those other things, you're going to get it better than you would have got it before you put God first. Ah, a mystery. Now, he also said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So he is the Savior of all mankind. Those who believe get saved. But what is the suffering of reproach? Hey, why aren't you putting working out and dietary supplements and why aren't you putting your business and your skill and your mental prowess and your ingenuity and your abilities to work? Because I'm putting God first. Well, in this world, putting God first, living a godly life in this world is a reproach. The world reproaches you, not God. God blesses you. But the reproach that we suffer comes from the world saying, look at you crazy Christians. Don't you know you can have anything you want right now? I mean, you could go for the gusto and have everything you want, and yet you're living like you're going against the flow of worldliness. You're not getting it all. I mean, it's all there, man. Press a button, turn a channel. Anything you want is there. Go down the street, go to a club, go to a what this, that, go, whatever. It's all there. And we're going, no, no, we're going we're gonna to humble ourselves. We're going to confess our sin. We're going to repent. We're going to walk in holiness. We're not going to touch the unclean thing. We're going to depart from evil. We're going to hate what's evil. Well, the world looks at you and says, you're insane. You're crazy. You're too, you're too rigid. You know, you're all under in a shell. You can't break out and be free. I hear people that are saying, I'm free, ready to divorce people because they're not really walking in the limelight of Christ. They're not walking in the primary reality of Christ where God hates divorce. I hear these people. I hear it. I hear it. They say it. Well, nothing we could do about it, you know. You you Christians are in a shell, and they're Christians. The people saying this are Christians, but, you know, you Christians are in a shell. You're too narrow-minded. You're too, you know, stuffy, and you're, listen, this is a great time to be a little stuffy. If you mean stuffy being rigidly righteous, absolutely. Why not be rigidly righteous in the world that we live in today? My goodness gracious. Now, He also said, these things command and teach. That's what we're doing. Let no man despise your youth, Timothy, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So every one of us should be like a Timothy in our walk with God. We should all be an example to somebody in our lives. Of course, if you're a little child, you can't do that always. But even there, there could be examples at school. But every one of us adults, we should all be an example. Maybe wives, you're becoming an example to your husband of why he wants to be saved. Sometimes husband looks at, looks at their wives and say, 
you know, if this is what salvation is, the way that you're acting, I don't want that. And husbands have actually resisted God because the way their wives acted. Wives are to act in a godly manner that without a word spoken could actually lead their husbands to Christ by their good conduct. And by the way, husbands, there's no other way to turn your wife off than to be a, a big kabuna. You know what I mean? A kabuna. That's half a baboon and half a whatever. So this whole thing, we are to set an example. Husbands, set an example of purity, grace, love, stability for your family. Because your family's watching you, dad, husband. Wives, set an example of, to your children how a woman is to treat her husband with all respect. Husbands, show your kids how to love your spouse, how to love your wife. Show them before their very eyes. Now, listen, I don't care how bad it is, how bad it's been. Start today. Do it right. Set an example. That's what he said here. Be thou an example of the believers. In church, people that go to church, set an example on how to dress, how to talk, how to fellowship. You know, people come for fellowship. They don't even know how to fellowship. They've been out of fellowship for so long. They're like they're in a church, but they don't know how to connect with people. Show them. Show people how to connect. Show people how to love God. Show people how to communicate with God. Show people how to pray. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be holier than thou. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be weird about it. Set an example of the best way to serve God before those who are believers. Set an example. Every single one of us are setting examples. Set an example. You don't have to join the crowd and say, well, I want to fit into my friends, so I'm going to listen to those dirty jokes. Forget that. Turn away. Say, folks, I don't want to talk about that. Neither should you be talking about that. Don't entertain Empty conversation, godless chatter, talking about things that don't matter. I mean, I understand we got to say, hey, what do you want at the store? Well, I want some groceries here. You got to talk. I'm, I'm not saying that. But don't entertain anything that's not godly. Set an example in all that you do. You go to the store and shop, shop like you're setting an example for somebody. Live like somebody's always watching you. And they're watching to see how you do it because they're going to follow you. Just Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, knowing somebody's watching you. Let it be that way. And what kind of conduct will you have? Behind closed doors, in front of people, start practicing, rehearsing, and living the way that God wants you to live. Live a godly life. This is what he's saying. And then he said, do this in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So these are the examples. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. Great thing that Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, this is what you do. Stay in the doctrine. Keep reading the word of God. Keep exhorting people. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Do you love those instructions from a father? Isn't that awesome? Well, Meditate upon these things, give yourself wholly to them, that they, that your profiting may appear to all. In other words, when you do these things, you're going to profit. You're going to be promoted. You're going to succeed. When you live this way, God is going to bless you. And he says, let everybody see. 
Take heed to yourself under the doctrine. Continue in them. Okay, watch yourself. Okay, you preach to others. Watch yourself. We have to do that all the time. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. Again, what is Paul talking about? Salvation. What's going to happen in the last days? Some are going to depart from the faith. Other scriptures say many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. So there's going to be a defection from true faith, from the true doctrines. You see, and false doctrine can get someone unsaved. False doctrine, anything that is promoted that's not written in the word and confirmed by two or three passages shouldn't even be entertained, quite frankly. Nothing should be entertained that doesn't have clear reference in the word of God. Pre-tribulational rapture, for example, New Testament. Always go to the New Testament. First, there's not two or three scriptures that say anything clearly about a pre-tribulational rapture. And the doctrine or the scripture they use, 1 Thessalonians 4, has nothing to do with a pre-tribulational rapture. Because that's all about the coming of the Lord, the dead in Christ rising, those alive and remaining being caught up to meet the Lord. And when does the Lord come? Immediately after the tribulation. There's nothing there that says it's pre-tribulational. People add that part to it. And yet people by the millions believe it. And up front, it may not matter. But when the time comes for that generation of people that believe it, and all of a sudden they're here, and they're facing hard times, they may be tempted to give up their walk with the Lord and depart from the faith. Such a great gift of salvation has been granted unto us on this Christmas day. And I'm so glad that we had this time to spend together today to declare to the ends of the earth the salvation of the world through God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Cling to him. Hold fast to him. Believe with all of your heart. And listen, you're not believing in a fable. You're not believing in a fairy tale. You're believing the truth. And somehow God gave you the ability to accept. Think about this. God gave you the ability to accept that a virgin gave birth to a son. Most people can't accept that because they have no faith. They don't have to worry about departing from the faith. They don't have any. Now, God gave to every man a measure of faith, but not all men have faith. Figure that out. Balance everything. So you believe. You believe in a Messiah that born in Israel, in Jerusalem. Your faith stretches back to a man from the Middle East because you have faith. You know why? Because God has been seeking you out from the beginning of time, and he gave you something very special, the ability to believe, genuinely believe, really believe, believe so much that it changed your life. I'm going to go for now. I know I was about an hour off, and um, we'll do the best we can to get it right next time. We'll see you Tuesday. Merry Christmas. God bless you. This is Pastor Vince. Shalom. The world, the Lord is come. Let her receive her king.